I'm Emily Swinford, and with some help from my friend, Todd Studer at Todd Studer Productions, you are listening to Emily Sells Iowa, the podcast. Join me, my colleagues, clients, and friends as we discuss real-life real estate. Please note that the opinions and content of this podcast are my own and not necessarily the opinions of Better Homes and Gardens Real Estate, any realtor associations, or any other persons or entities. If your property is listed with a real estate broker, please know that it is not our intention to solicit the offerings of other real estate brokers. If you're interested in buying or selling properties, what is happening in your community, or what's new in the real estate world, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to this episode of Emily Sells Iowa. I'm Todd Studer, and in studio today, Emily Swinford, realtor with Better Homes and Gardens, the Good Life Group, offices in Glenwood and Council Bluffs, Iowa. Emily, wonderful to see you again. Wonderful that we're getting warmer weather, and uh, I think it just kind of improves everyone's mood. Oh, I agree 100%. I tried to walk to the studio today, Todd, from our office, but there was a truck blocking the alley, and I was already running late, so I jumped in my car and drove <laughs> over, but it's going to be super nice today, so I'm very excited about that. So the truck was able to nudge the, or <laughs> your car was able to nudge the truck out of the way. Uh, no, I just went could. around the block. Yeah. <laughs> Well, tell me, what's new? What's been happening? Yeah, so a lot's going on. Kind of went from, we always say all the nothing, we went from nothing to all, uh, personally and professionally. So by the time this podcast episode is released, uh, we will have actually have already hosted what we're kind of calling our new agent event, uh, which is actually really just kind of a seminar uh, for folks to log on to virtually via Facebook. They kind of have a Zoom-like setup. And uh, I have recruited Amy Hagstrom with uh, EXP Realty and Samantha Peckham with Berkshire Hathaway. So the three of us are going to host this very low-pressure virtual event. And we're going to talk all about how to get your real estate license, the costs associated with it, hopefully lots of Q&A, kind of our own personal uh, stories and how our businesses are set up. And so anyhow, that will already be over by the time that it has aired. So if anybody has you know missed the event and they were interested in it, they can always reach out to any of us. We're always happy to help people who are interested in getting into real estate. And we're kind of hoping that this one's successful enough that we can do it uh, maybe twice a year. Yeah. So this would be the first one that, yeah. that as, as people are listening to the podcast would have already happened. Uh, how However, I have a feeling it's going to be just fine. You've got some wonderful people attached to it. I love the fact that you have gone to different brokerages to find. uh, So you're going to get, I think, uh, different viewpoints, different perspectives. And I think it's going to be very beneficial to folks who are just looking for some more information. Do, Do you want to go into this industry? A way to find out that is this a good fit for you? Yeah, the, I'm all about the collaboration. That's one of the best parts about the Southwest Iowa Association of Realtors and getting involved with, um, we call it SWIRE. Um, you know, first, you've got to be your client's agent and fiduciary. But second to that, you want to be an agent's agent. So if you're in a multiple offer situation and you have a bad reputation among, among other agents for being difficult to work with or not knowing how to educate your clients, um, I mean, your offer might get pushed to the side. And so aside from it being fun and kind of keeping um, the life in your business and collaborating to become better together. There's a lot of other perks to it that might go sight unseen. Another collaboration that you're always excited about is when you have the chance to bring guests in and have them join us on the podcast. 
Yeah, I'm working on some really exciting guests for this month. So I have one confirmed so far and a couple in the works. And uh, so Lonnie Mayberry, he is on the Mills County Board of Supervisors and um, is uh, the owner of Land Surveying Services in Glenwood, but they work um, all of Southwest Iowa, and I'm sure he'll tell us where else. So he's going to be a a guest on the podcast here. That will come out in a couple of weeks. And um, I'm really excited. Uh, I told him I'd stop into his office next week because we have a lot of ground to cover. What are some of the things that you're hoping to learn from Lonnie? Well, you know, survey, I've, I kind of get it and I kind of don't. It's kind of one of those things that agents, they have to be familiar with it, but we're definitely not the experts in it. Uh, so I'm kind of excited about that. Um, I'm brand new to um, really being exposed to the board for the Chamber of Commerce in Mills County and how some of those things work when it comes to economic development and board of supervisors and the city and who does what and how it all works together. So I'm interested to hear his perspective on the board of supervisors and and just being a land surveyor. And I know that he probably has some great stories to tell because I heard that recently when one of his employees was doing a survey for me, it was 50 acres out in Missouri Valley, they about got attacked by a herd of bucks. Really? (laughs) Yeah. So I think it's more of a dangerous job than what we realize. (laughs) I I think so as well that, yeah, if um, the bucks can get a little aggressive sometimes. So um, I'm glad it all worked out and everything went fine. How about you personally? I mean, you've got a lot of things going on in your life right now, don't you? Yeah, personally and professionally. I'm really excited. Uh, my fiance and I are getting ready to take a vacation with a group of friends, um, but it is spring in full force. I said, I don't know if I'll be able to go on vacation again in March. We might have to make it January. So I know that's a really great problem to have, uh, but we are just crazy busy band concerts, um, you know, all those spring things. Soccer's starting to pick up. Uh, Hannah, my daughter, she's going to start track here soon. And then opening night for Charlotte's Web at the Mills Maskers Theater in Glenwood. Uh, That's on March 17th, and that runs for two weeks. And this is her first play that she's done, which is exciting for me because I grew up doing theater at that theater. Um, And there's a lot of the same people that are still associated with it that were when I was Hannah's age. So that's been fun to kind of watch her experience that. So Personally, we're just crazy busy, still kind of hanging in there by a thread, uh, but professionally, things have really picked up these past few weeks. So I've been out showing. Um, We have seen multiple offers on properties again, especially in Council Bluffs. And then I looked this morning, Todd, and as of today, uh, which is March 1st, 2023, we have... For example, I'm going to use Glenwood as as an example. There are only seven homes on the market total that are listed by a licensed real estate agent that are not new construction. So if somebody's considering listing their home, uh, sooner than later is probably a good idea because buyers are out there, you're going to beat out the competition, or you're going to beat them to the market at least, and you don't have to worry about all the spring yard cleanup. I think that there's something to point out as well is that, yes, the seven listings, but it's not as if people will have seven houses to choose from because that's going to be across the board as far as uh, value and price is concerned. So some of these will be under where you're pricing at, some will be over. So your choices right now are really limited. That's exactly right. And low inventory doesn't always mean that your house is worth $100,000 more. I mean, we still got to be very in tune to market value and be strategic when pricing. But I have a listing coming up meeting with the seller, the, the sellers this evening. Uh, it's a fantastic ranch home uh, in Glenwood, Iowa, in a great neighborhood. And so I was kind of prepping for that appointment. And I was looking, this is kind of what led me to discovering that there are only seven homes today. And I knew I was coming in here. So I thought that was a good thing to share. Well, I was looking at properties uh, for them between three hundred and five hundred thousand, 
uh, in Glenwood, and there's only one right now. Really? So again, if you list sooner than later, you have less competition. You are very good at keeping things updated on social media. And I noticed that uh, on one of your pages, you were talking about an acreage. And that got me thinking about, I mean, is that a really popular thing? Are families very, uh, zeroed in on that and are looking for acreages right now? Yeah, and funny you ask that um, because our team newsletter is getting ready to go out uh, e- either tomorrow or the next day. And uh, one of the topics in there, it's I always put monthly home maintenance tips in that newsletter. But this month I thought, let's do home maintenance tips that are primarily for acreages. So we can kind of go over some of those because there's sure. some different things to pay attention to when it comes to septic well and propane. But yeah, acreages are the most highly sought after properties in Southwest Iowa. There's several reasons why somebody would want to own them. And what's kind of considered an acreage uh, in our area is anything that's one acre or over. And so that's how we enter them into the MLS. Um, That's kind of how people start shopping for them. And then from there, we can narrow it down for a buyer, whether they're looking for one to three acres or, you know, five to 10 acres. But an acreage um, for our purposes is one acre or more. So not necessarily, say, a series of outbuildings or things like that. It's just based on the size of the property. Yeah. And I'm kind of talking residential acreages, which which means that there would be a single family residence on that. So there's all different types of acreages, but like there's acreage subdivisions where you might have, you know, 20 houses in one neighborhood that are all in one acre. So those you might be a little bit more restricted in what you can do with your property there, because even though you kind of have some space between your neighbors, you still have uh, some rules that you need to follow to keep, you know, the peace and the appeal and the aesthetic for the community. And then you might have your, like the one I just talked about, your 50 acre property in Missouri Valley that I just sold. You might have something like that where you can, it's, you can do whatever you want. You can hunt your own land, you can ride your four wheelers, you can build a barn dominium. So there's all sorts of different types of things out there, depending on what you're looking for. Because they are so highly sought after, they can be a little bit difficult to find. Um, But, you know, if you can find one, you're going to be able to benefit from typically more privacy, like I said before, more space, county taxes, and then sometimes um, even there's income opportunity and um, you can maybe start an ag business or you might have an opportunity to, uh, you know, build a bigger warehouse where you can host your commercial business. So there's just a lot of opportunities with them. I think so. Well, one of the, I have an app on my phone that I kind of like, and it's called HipCamp. And it is folks who have private property that want to set aside some space for folks to come by and camp. And, you know, if you have an acreage that has, you know, say some wooded area or something like that, and you mentioned a chance to make a little extra money, there are a number of different ways that uh, someone with an acreage would be able to do that. And if someone is in a market for it, just different things to think about. That is really cool. I've never heard of that. No? No. It's, I've never used it. But I, I do have it, and I've thought about booking some space. Some of them are to the point where you can actually have an RV there, but a lot of them are just primitive camping. Uh, and, and also, it, if you're thinking about doing that, I would recommend having some type of a bathroom facilities <laughs> that access to them. But anyway. <laughs> I got to be honest with you. I'm more of, well, <laughs> these days, I'm more of a glamper than a camper. Sure. <laughs> but I will look into that because I bet I have a lot of friends that would be interested in that. I think you'll also <laughs> find some spaces like that on there as well. It's, you know, it's kind of like Airbnb or VRBO for uh, for camping. Yeah, very neat. It's There's something for everybody. We're getting kind of off topic here. So <laughs> you, you did talk about uh, some different things that you need to uh, pay attention to. You mentioned propane. Yeah. Well, first of all, there's, you know, with an acreage comes different types of maintenance and sometimes more maintenance. And there's some other things that you have to keep in mind. Um, depending on your lifestyle, um, you know, you have to 
sometimes you might have to have a car that can get through those secondary roads that, um, you know, it's it's not that the secondary road crews aren't doing their job. It's when we have weeks like this week where we're freezing and thawing and freezing and thawing. There's no way to maintain those roads during that time. So they might, get a little soft. Yep. You might have soggy roads and ruts or you might have ice or, I mean, so there's all sorts of things you kind of got to watch out for depending on how rural you are. You're also further away from emergency uh, care from people being able to get to you. So if you have health problems, that's always kind of something to consider as well. As far as upkeep and maintenance go, um, I think we just talked about my newsletter. And so I can kind of bring up those topics, septic well and propane. Um, Septic tanks, uh, they are required by the state of Iowa uh, through the DNR to be inspected when you sell your home. And so there are certain requirements that that inspection has to meet from a from a selling standpoint before you can actually record your deeds. So this is a requirement. And if you've been in the house for a while, chances are the code's changed. Uh, that's true. You know, a lot of things with the septic uh, inspection are grandfathered in. So oh, okay. if your house was built, you know, 20 years ago, you, you don't necessarily have to bring your septic up to today's standards, just like a lot of things. Same with electrical or plumbing. Um, you know, obviously a home that was built in the 1900s isn't going to have the same rules that we have for building standards today, but they're not going to require you to go in and do all of that stuff and tear down your walls and redo your wiring. So it kind of works like that. But you do have to have a certified inspector. And once that certified inspector comes in, usually they're going to want to pump the tank so that they can get a a good look at it. They're going to run water and make sure that the laterals are working the way that they are. And maybe we should get a septic company on this podcast because I think that would be great information to get out there. But according, uh, all things aside from uh, the inspection and from selling your home, the EPA actually recommends that the average septic tank should be inspected about every three to five years by a certified septic company and then kind of pumped every three to five years. So again, that's going to depend on um, when your house was built, your usage and all of those sorts of things. So that'd be kind of fun to get somebody on here to talk more about that. I think so. And I think that also getting that inspection done, you can head off a minor problem before it becomes a major one. Because if you have a major problem with your septic system, your life just took a turn for the worse. So, <laughs> Yeah, now I'm going off topic again, but I'm thinking if we get a septic company in here and we're, we're talking about that, what, what we'll name that podcast episode. <laughs> That, uh, yeah, that could be some uh, creative writing, I think. <laughs> exactly. Um, anyhow, the other two things to kind of just, just know about is propane tanks actually expire. Um, really? So, yes. So in the United States, they are considered qualified uh, for 12 years. And then after that, they are considered expired. They're not supposed to be filled, and you have to have them recertified every five years. I don't know the ins and outs of that, and I need to kind of study up on that. But I do know that if you call your propane company, that a lot of times they'll be willing to come out and make sure that it's uh, safe and that there's no leaks and make sure all of your connections are hooked up the way that they're supposed to be. And I imagine that there's a way that they could tell whether or not that it's whether or not it's expired. So, and I assume they probably have to check that out before they fill it. I would guess so, because just like any industry that, you know, if they're doing things out of code for them, then that makes them culpable for it and that makes them liable for it. So they don't want they don't want to go that direction. I had no idea that a propane tank me had either. an expiration date. Yeah, me either. And I actually have lived on an acreage uh, that had a propane tank, and I'm sure my fantastic propane company took care of it at that time, and I just never knew about it. But I grew up in a house that well, that's how we had heat. It was in a town, but we didn't 
there was no city service for gas, so we had a propane tank. I had no clue. Yeah, same with the carbon monoxide detectors. Most people don't know those expire. So just kind of all safety items to check out, especially when it comes to propane, gas, furnace, all that kind of stuff that can be a hazard if you don't maintain it well. Well, you just said well. So what about a well? Yeah, good point. So uh, I, the last thing we were going to talk about is well water. And, um, you know, as a general rule of thumb, you should have your well water tested uh, to make sure it's safe to drink on an annual basis. And if you check with your county's public health department, at least in the state of Iowa, uh, some may offer this as a service uh, to you. So they may qualify or have a grant program in place that allows them to come out once a year and collect that water sample and then send it off to the state lab at no cost to you. And so they test for bacteria and nitrates typically. And so you again, I grew up on an acreage and I've lived on an acreage and I don't think that we regularly had our well water tested. I don't know if we even knew that we were supposed to at that time. Um, but it's really a good habit to get into, especially if there's no cost to you, and especially if you have an infant living in your house because you want to make sure that your nitrates aren't um, at a dangerous level for infants. And then also just bacteria, that's kind of yucky, so that can seep into a well. So just kind of a good thing to stay on top of. Yeah, and things are different now than they used to be. I can remember <laughs> when I was a kid that uh, we had some guests over for dinner and somebody asked a, uh, one of the kids that had come over, you know, do you want water or milk with to drink? And he said, I want milk because water doesn't have any taste. And I said, what are you talking about? Water has taste. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> this same. was how I grew up. Yeah, same taste, all that metal. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> taste exactly. all that iron in the well. <laughs> Makes your fillings hurt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a lot of great things and, and great tips. And I'm sure that, as you talked about, acreages uh, can be a little more of a process to find the right one. And you need to be a little more patient, I think, if you're in the market for that, because it, it, it could potentially take longer to find the right one especially if you're looking for something specific. And I know we've gotten into this in the past, but sometimes they can be a little more difficult to finance if it's not a traditional, you know, frame-built house or if, say, you're doing a VA loan and um, they'll value, you know, the land and the buildings and the home. All uh, more moving parts. So more moving parts to them, just things to know. A lot of great information. I always learn a lot every time you come into the studio, Emily, and I appreciate it uh, very much for your time. And I'm uh, looking forward to some of the guests you're bringing in and uh, continuing on. Me too. Thanks, Todd. Emily Sells, Iowa, is released each week. Emily Swinford, realtor with Better Homes and Gardens, the Good Life Group, offices in Glenwood and Council Bluffs, Iowa. We also thank you for listening to this episode. And until next time, take care.